still don't know what you're dealing with, do you? The perfect organism. I mean, it's a guy in a rubber suit, mate. I mean, it's like, come it on. It is a guy in a rubber suit. <laughs> That's why they did it. We'll get into it, but like, I mean, I'm not criticising it because I think it's great that they don't show it as much because mm-hmm. it you know, adds to the suspense, but it is just a guy. And a <laughs> guy. Yeah. That's but, um, one of the things that got me about Terminator. The first Terminator movie is like, Arnold Schwarzenegger's there, operating on his own face, but clearly it's Arnold Schwarzenegger stabbing himself in a rubber mask. <laughs> it's really bizarre. <laughs> yep. Um, but before we get to any of that, I have a big uh, wheel that is not here because I'm travelling again to spin, Lewis. <laughs> Um, Lovely stuff. He has the travel version of the wheel, which is bigger and more cumbersome yeah. and heavier. Made out of metal. Um, yes. Are, are you ready? Made out of metal that's really sharp at the edges of the actual wheel, so yeah. that when you try and pick it up, it cuts your hands. Yeah. yeah. Every time. My, my hand is like a, 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 a chopped bit of A4 paper. Um, um, right. I cut my finger the other day. Sorry, that's not part of the, part of the, the <laughs> bullshit. Go on. At least let me spin the wheel. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. Oh, it's stuck. Let me oil it. Is that a train now? There you go. Yes, the train of bullshit. It's like Snowpiercer, but, but, um, but different. But it makes more sense. Um, <laughs> um, what's in the Queen's handbag? That's a good question. What does the Queen need to carry? Okay, let's let's start off by gathering a list of what is in an average person's handbag. You've got keys to their house, probably. Yeah, well, I don't and know. And probably she... also their car. She, she, well, she doesn't have a driving license. She does drive, though. Yeah, but... She, um, yeah. But I imagine she just walks up to cars, keys are in the ignition, and off she goes. Yeah. I don't imagine she needs to carry keys around. Um, a, a purse or a wallet? I don't imagine she needs to carry ID or cra- cash or no, cards. she doesn't have a passport um, either. No, that's that's very true. Um, Does she just keep I'm, another? Like I've listed all the things that are in my pockets. So. Does she just keep another handbag in her handbag? Yes, it's a recursive loop. It's it like just a, goes forever, like a Russian doll. She just. <laughs> <laughs> or it, um, okay. It's in the eventuality that someone destroys one handbag, and she's like, "Ah, you thought I, that was the only handbag I had? Well," and she, like, and she pulls out another from within the destroyed handbag. Yep. She's like, like a phoenix from the ashes rises another handbag. Yeah, her handbags are like Ultron. You know, they just... <laughs> <laughs> Played by James Spader. Yes. The, uh... Very nice voice. Very nice Very voice. Nice voice. Yeah. Um, it was ever so strange seeing him in the office because I, I knew that Robert California was a character from, from like Instagram and stuff. Yeah. And then um, up crops James Spader and he has this, this buttery smooth voice. Why is James being so cruel to the magician? <laughs> and it's just really bizarre. Upon this rock, I will build my church. It's like, is it that soothing, Lewis? You know, it's it's pretty. It's quite soothing, yeah. The content of what he's saying is not soothing, but the 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 the, the, the noise is nice. Now, so are you. What I always say: keep your friends rich and your enemies rich, and wait to find out which is which. It's like it's. He does come across like he would probably let spit at spit at you. Yeah, I have no doubt he would spit at me. Yeah, yeah. 
but that's... I mean, I don't know if he's a nice guy in Rock. Should we Google if James Spader a nice guy? No! I want to know this what's in the good. Queen's fucking handbag. A nice guy. Uh, is um... <laughs> You're Googling, is he a nice guy? <laughs> yeah, there's always... Because if he's not, then there's always somebody that's like, oh, I worked on such and such movie with James Spader and he killed a puppy every morning. Um, yeah, I know, but people people just... Like, sounds like he's a nice guy. Hey. I know, but people okay. say that, though, don't they? Like, I, I used to just say shit. I mean, I used to, <laughs> oh, yes, I, I worked with Louis Walsh and he um, headbutted me once. Like, I'll just say that. I mean, get a bit of, get a bit of drama going. For le- a bit of drama going. For legal reasons, Louis Walsh has never headbutted me in the, in the, in the head. <laughs> have you met Louis Walsh? I have met Louis Walsh. Oh, what was he like? Um... Uh, brief. Uh, I see. I was like quite a claim to fame, this nanny. Yeah, well, I was like, ha, 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 yeah, and he was like, hello, and walked off. Um, no, what he did Very was nice. he said, "You can't sing, you can't dance, but I'm putting you through to the judges' houses anyway, like that." Perfect. Yeah. You know. um, okay. What's in the Queen's handbag? Uh, Louis. What Wal- else do you Louis carry? Walsh. Louis Walsh is in the Queen's handbag, a hundred percent. Um, maybe some dog treats. She always has corgis around. I feel like she might like to treat the dogs every now and then. True. Um, um, maybe some kind of makeup. Um, if not a chapstick, a lipstick, or some... I, I, I don't know what the word is for it. Like a little compact or something. I don't know. I, I find it hard to imagine the Queen doesn't have a makeup artist that sort of... Yeah. Sorts it, sort, like, sorts it all out as a, as, a, as a base level, and then... Maybe she's got stuff on her to, like, top it up through the day. I genuinely don't know. I don't know enough about makeup or the Queen to, to really not know the answer to that question. Um, a, a, a hip flask that says, we we love the commies. Um, or, that or, is a very specific thing to say. Is that a joke I don't get? Yeah, no, well, I don't know. I mean, she's not really, she's not really the face of communism, is she? Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, not really. Not really. No, I know she's got her abdication confirmation in there, like for for whenever for, for whenever shit gets a bit too real. She's like, "Here," <laughs> she just runs off. <laughs> oh God! Um, well, that'd be very funny. She just she just, her private secretary or someone is just saying, uh, "Mom, we need you to do this thing," and she just like reaches into her handbag and slowly starts pulling it out, and he goes, "Or not, or not. You don't yeah. have to. You can just sit here if you want to." <laughs> Puts it back in. Very good. Very good. Yeah, that's the biggest thing she can threaten is to quit. Um, wow. I, a bit of context for this, even though that we're already seven minutes in. I saw this on Twitter because it was it was obviously uh, Lilibet's birthday, and um, people on Twitter were saying, "Oh, what does she keep in her handbag? Oh, this this funny thing. This fun." And I was like, "Oh, that could be quite funny." And then I forgot to actually substantiate it with anything that could, you know, possibly be construed as funny in any way, Imagine shape, or form. She keeps a gun in her handbag. She probably does. For any, uh, I mean, for any, any cheeky Has servant. Tried to assassinate her for a cheeky. <laughs> <laughs> she got this image of a servant giving her some lip or something, and then she pulls it out and holds it sideways like a gangster from a nineties movie. <laughs> He's like, "Is that what you say to me? Is that what you say to me, the Queen?" I will. No, ma'am. I'm so sorry, ma'am. I will um, cap your ass, you bitch. Like that. <laughs> Maybe that is what she would say. Maybe she would say, "I will cap your ass." Yeah. I've no idea. Um, 
what does the queen like doing? She likes horses. Does she keep a horse in there? She I keeps, don't know. She keeps raw Some horse. horse Does such a thing exist? She keeps raw horse meat in her handbag. <laughs> because she likes horses. No, no. Do you know what she does? She keeps fucking swan meat in her in her handbag. That's what yeah, she does. She's the only person that's allowed to eat swans, which is such a bizarre law. Yeah. It's really it's like oh, they're under the Queen's protection. Yeah, so she can fucking eat them. Like she, there's only a finite of swans left, Michael. I don't want all these other people eating them. Yeah. It's one swan, Michael. What could it possibly cost? A million pounds? My name is Nathan, Mom. No, it isn't. Um. <laughs> it's Michael now. It's one of my powers. No, it's, it's Michael. I, yes, I, it is. Fuck off. I had your name changed. Um. <laughs> Nathan made you sound as if you were a shop assistant at Asda. Um. I don't really know what. I, 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 the, maybe there is a shop assistant at Asda called Nathan. Um, yeah, maybe he's crying now. Maybe he's a listener to the podcast and he's crying. He's now. the only listener. And he's like, oh. yes. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> um, How could they say that about me? I know. There's not Nathan. There's nothing wrong with being a shop assistant at Asda. You know. Well, you know, I don't think I've ever ever actually been in an Asda. There's just no Asdas near me for some reason. Ah, it's, like, it's not. It's not that. It's not what's cracked up to be. I imagine it's. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine it's very similar to a lot of other supermarkets. Yeah. Um, so you know how Lidl and Aldi are almost the same. Yeah. Uh, Tesco and Asda are almost the same. It's like oh, one's okay. green well, yeah. and one's blue. It's like come we're, on. we're bizarrely dominated by Tesco's here. You can't throw a stone to to not hit a Tesco. Yeah. I'm walking distance from like three Tescos. It's very strange. Yeah. Well, we have a Lidl at the top of our street. Oh. And okay. I, we, I have a Lidl in walking distance. Yeah. Who doesn't love a good Lidl? And a, and a, right, Lidl is fucking spectacular. Right, the bakery section at Lidl. Have you been to a, the bakery section at a Lidl? I have, but you need to get there early, otherwise it's stale as fuck. <laughs> I have not noticed stale as fuckness, but I, I do everything kind of early. I'm, I'm useless in the afternoons. So <laughs> whenever I have a thing to do, because where the Lidl is, it's like far enough away that I need a reason to go there. Yeah. So it's like, oh, well, I'm going down into, into town to, I don't know, go to the bank or whatever. While I'm out, I'll get a croissant or something. Um, and then, so yeah, I, I'm, that's the kind of thing where I'm like, okay, I'm up, I'm out the door at nine, walking down into, into town. Yeah. Um, so I've got my, my hot, fresh croissant. <laughs> and then um, the bouncer at the, um, at, the, at the bank says, sorry, mate, can't come in today. Not if you've got a croissant. The bouncer at the bank? Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's bank slash nightclub. Oh, every every Friday morning at nine a.m. Apparently, they um they open the vault and let everybody have a party in there. Um, do they do that they... thing in Matilda where it's like gets sticky with Mickey? I, I've never seen Matilda. You've never seen Matilda? No. Oh my god! What You've is... never seen Eurovision. Don't get on your high horse about Matilda. Sorry, don't fucking compare Matilda to Eurovision, okay? One is. I know Matilda is a very valuable film in the sense that, like, it has a lot of good things to say. Valuable? It's not. I'm not selling it. I'm just saying it's a good. (laughs) I'm just saying it's a good film. What? Um, The thing that gets me about how you haven't seen Eurovision is the statistical improbability of it, because it's on every year and it's about six hours long. It's just the chances of you not ever seeing it. Well, it it is astounding. I've, I've never known to be a probabilistic guy. You know, 
<laughs> well, I mean, I mean, that's hard to argue with that, isn't it? <laughs> How to insult someone without actually insulting them? <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had the body confidence you do. <laughs> that's a good one. I like yeah. that one. Um, Sh- you, 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 you know him. You know him. He's, he's, um, he's got a great personality. Like that. What the? F- What's that? Um, I forget who said it to me. It was, um. I think it was one of the actors on Four O'Clock Club that said, um, "You want to, um, you want to be professional, but don't let being professional be the only thing that people actually say about you." And the implication is like, you want to, you want to be professional, obviously, mm. but you don't want people to be like, "Oh well, he forgets his lines and he doesn't turn up on time." But he's very professional. He's very yeah. professional. Yeah, he's very professional. So yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I often didn't turn up on time, and I often forgot my lines. <laughs> Um, no, you know what you did that always really pissed me off was you would learn your lines in the two minutes that we were re- rehearsing the scene. Oh yeah, and then we would do the scene, and you'd get your lines right every time, and it would really piss me off because I'd be sat up for hours the previous night trying to memorize my lines and having a hard time of it. Yeah, and you just waltz in, <laughs> morning everyone. What the fuck are we doing today? Read the scene. Oh, I've never read this scene before in my life. <laughs> and then you memorize the lines on the spot and do the scene. It really annoyed me. Lewis, I'm not going to lie to you. Um, what you just said was so accurate that you don't even, I don't, th- I don't even think you fully comprehend how accurate that is. The amount of effort, <laughs> the amount of effort that I put into learning lines on the four o'clock club was pitiful. It was, it was so bad. I would, I would literally come in. I wouldn't even have sides. I'd be like, has anyone got a spare pair of sides? <laughs> It had to cost a member oh, of the God. crew. If you get a pair of sides, I can. It's like, yeah, we're going to do a read through, folks. Can I, can I have some sides? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm quickly scanning through it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's an eight-page-long scene. You're just going, fuck, fuck. And I'm like, oh, right, learn them. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! It's true. Um, it's so true. It's true, yeah. Guys, I don't oh, deserve God. I don't deserve to be an actor because I'm so like, I'm, everyone's like <laughs> Lewis Lewis comes in, everything highlighted, annotated, like you put so much effort in I'm just like here we go, super busy. We got a hangover anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh Christ almighty. I mean it's accurate. Yeah, I, think. I never had a hangover. I wasn't like because uh, I don't drink that no, much. No, no, you never had a yeah. yeah I had a sugar rush. <laughs> oh god, stuff got me as well. I don't even do like... anything. I just stuff my face with donuts and look at the mirror. I went. <laughs> <laughs> you'd like you'd wait for like a, some kind of a snack to be provided by the caterers, and then you'd go and like in like just grab a fistful <laughs> of carrot sticks. Yeah, and, and just. Shovel them into your mouth. Oh yeah, like, I used to oh, eat them all the time. Sticks. Oh god. Yeah, they did oh. breadsticks as well, and I was like, mm. <laughs> oh, I remember at the time it really struck me as weird because everybody was like, "Oh look, it's like Harry Bow Tang Fastics. So I have a couple of them." Um, or on the other end of the scale, people were like, "Oh, there's like a couple of bits of fruit or whatever." And I bet that and you were just like, "Get those fucking carrot sticks in my face now!" Yep. And yep. you were just <laughs> eating them with such passion. Yeah. Oh god. No, definitely. Um, I was, and what was, uh, if I didn't look, feel like eating anything properly, I'd just have crackers and, and cheese. Yeah, yeah, I you remember know. this. I actually lost oh, weight God. because 
a lot of the time I just didn't want what they were making. I was like, I'll just have some cheese and crackers. Um, but uh, oh, good, good, good. I'm glad we've we've re- re- recounted that anecdote. Yes. Um. Oh God. Is that is that a sufficient amount of bullshit for you? Um, I'd like to briefly talk about some books I've read. Okay. <laughs> um. This is like a massive departure. Yeah, I got like a library card recently um, because there's a library near me now. Well, I mean, there's always been a library near me, but I didn't have a card for it. So I went and I got a card and now I have a library card and it's pretty great. (laughs) Libraries have changed a lot since I was a little kid. Um, Used to be you'd go in, get sad, pick up a crap book and then leave and then try to read it over the course of three weeks. Yeah. Um, But libraries have changed a lot. They're a lot more like technologically advanced now, like... um, there's a sort of different apps and stuff and websites that you can access with a library card, which is nice. Um, like, for example, there's an app called BorrowBox, which is really good. Um, it's like audiobooks that you can access through your library card. Um, so I downloaded the app, logged in with my library code and everything, and now I've got like a little City of Stoke-on-Trent library audiobook thing. Um, and I've read loads of really good books. Um yeah. This weirdly, slightly vaguely ties into Four O'Clock Club. You know Mikis, musical director on Four O'Clock Club? Yeah. His cousin, Ben Aronovich, wrote a series of books called The Rivers of London Books. Oh. Um, which sound, it's a weird name for a series because it sounds like uh, an anthology of like encyclopedias, but it's not. It's, uh, it's a story, it's a set of fiction books about um, a policeman that's like, oh, bloody hell, maybe magic exists. Oh, bloody hell, magic definitely does exist. Yeah. And then he starts to learn magic as part of his policemaning. Um, and, you know, they're good. I really like them. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of uh, borrowing them, listening to them, returning them and all the rest of it. They're really good. I'm on the third or fourth one now on the, um, where's it gone? I've got my phone open. Yeah, I'm on the third one now. It's it's like they're quite good. It's um, I mean you know there are good things about them, bad things about them. Like um, good things about them is that the reason everybody doesn't do magic in this world, it's which is always something that's really frustrated me about things like Harry Potter or or, or or things like that. Is you have to be born special to do magic. Yeah, and that always kind of really pissed me off because it's no definitely it it, it it's like it's a lazy way of telling that story. The reason you don't do magic in this world is that it's really fucking hard. It, like even really well trained and practiced magicians find it incredibly difficult. Exactly. Um, and then you do a lot of magic, and sometimes you just have a stroke, and then you just die. So there's like <laughs> um like a there's like a doctor in the series who is Scottish. I don't know why I felt the need to tell you that. Um, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's also fictional. It doesn't really matter. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a doctor in the series who calls it um, advanced hypothaumaturgical degradation or something, where like your brain starts melting if you do too much magic, and it's really good. Um, there are also some bits that are less good, like it's there are parts that are quite male gazy, um, like the main character invariably meets a beautiful woman at some point in the story and then like goes out of his way to sleep with her, and it's like, oh well... I could do without this in my story about yeah. women, but thanks. It's like, it's um, it's not that I have a problem with it, it's that it's not like, it feels very male gazy because it feels like it's been inserted into the story rather than it's like an organic part of the story. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's really, really quite, yeah, you know, and it's like some of the ways that women are described in the books are a bit sort of like reading it or listening to it, you're a bit, oh, that's a bit gross. Yeah. Like, like but like there are... You know, on balance, I quite enjoy the books, and if you overlook the bits that are gross, they are pretty good books, and they they take an interesting approach to magic and and stuff like that, and that's 
maybe worth a look if you like magic books. Um, the only other one I wanted to talk about very, very briefly was a book I listened to called The Southern Book Club Guides to Slaying Vampires. Oh. It's really fucking good. Um, if you get a chance to read the book, listen to the book, whatever it is, just do it. Like, um... I'm going to read the little blurb here. Fried green tomatoes and steel magnolias meet Dracula in this southern-flavoured supernatural thriller set in the 90s about a women's book club that must protect its suburban community from a mysterious and handsome stranger who turns out to be a real monster. And that makes it sound a bit weird and crap, but it's really good. Um, <laughs> but um, the thing I really like about it is that it, it, it manages to say something very important in the opening few chapters about how oppressive everyday life can be yeah and sort of like the main character is this um this this housewife who sort of feels sort of uh run down by the pressures of raising her kids and run down by the pressures of her husband's job in a lot of ways um mm-hmm. and she's sort of they, they live in this town deliberately because they wanted to avoid those things happening they wanted to avoid like um you know the, the fast-paced modern life and all that so they would move to this small town in um in um it does say somewhere where they live but i've completely fucking forgotten yeah i mean they wanted to live in this small town and escape sort of fast city life and all the rest of it um and so they live in this small town where it's all like people leave their doors unlocked and people go around when they see that an ambulance has been and they go around the next day with a casserole and say ah oh, is everything all right and sort of thing and it's like you sort of get this really sweet community spirit type thing the good old um, days yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but then sort of that's another redeeming feature of the book is at the start of the book the main character is sort of like she wishes for the good old days as it were and then as time goes on she realizes okay well maybe that's not a viable sort of concept yeah maybe in the modern days and even in the olden days it wasn't a good concept because it has to be built on the on the backs of other people so it's yeah. not fair and it's not an equitable thing um but the the real thing that i do love is that it's it's like it's what's the word it's female led and all the all the female led characters have very starkly different personalities mm-hmm. like um at the opening of the book um is the main character getting ready to go to a book club that she attends um and then she goes and she's forgotten to read the book because like uh, her life is busy and stressful yeah and and the, all the other women at this book club are like oh you didn't read the book oh you bitch and all this sort of stuff and they're all really sort of angry at her um and then afterwards her she sort of meets up with a couple of others other women that didn't really like it that book club meeting and they decide right fuck this that was terrible we're gonna start our own book club um yeah and they start reading really sort of um intense books about like serial killers and um things like that so they read about books about like ted bundy and the zodiac killer and the son of sam and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and like it's it she makes this in the, the the author makes this interesting point about how it's like it sort of satisfies a primal curiosity to want to know about these horrible things that are happening out there in the world and it yeah, sort of it satisfies this this part of her mind um and then mysterious guy comes to town and she's like oh he's mysterious um and at first they're like oh that's weird he was like he he doesn't go out in sun but then there's like oh he, he's got some kind of skin condition and that's how they explain it away yeah um and all this sort of stuff and then um let me try and yeah they sort of notice that um his van sort of goes missing from in front of his house and appears in this sort of sketchy part of town oh. and then goes back to where it is and so on and so forth and they're like oh well clearly he is a serial killer 
clearly that's what's happened here. It's the new Ted Bundy, and he lives just down the road, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and they sort of <laughs> they sort of pursue him and pursue him, pursue him, and the main character literally sort of happens across across this guy in the in the in his van. And she sort of sl- slams the doors wide open, thinking, "I'm going to catch him with a- his knife to a girl's throat," sort of thing. And she catches him with like a insect proboscis coming out of his mouth, oh. and he's like feeding on the blood of this child. And it's like really, oh my it- god! The way it's described is this deeply horrific scene. Yeah. Um, I really like vampire stories, just in general. I-, I think vampires are a really interesting narrative tool, and this is it. It displays them really well. Yeah. And it says something really interesting about what it means to be a human. Mm-hmm. And it says something really interesting about like what it means to be inhuman as well. Like yeah. um, I don't know, it's, it's just really, really good. If you get the chance to read it, do the Southern Book Club's Guide to Slaying Vampires by Grady Hendrix. It um, I couldn't recommend it enough. It's really, really good. The um, the version I listened to was read by Barney Turpin, um, and she is really, really good because it's she has this um sort of quite gentle southern american accent mm-hmm. which sort of she dials up and down for different characters and um it's really really skillfully told it's a brilliant story i absolutely adore it excellent well i mean speaking of things that are like human and inhuman i think that neatly so it gets us to to another it sort of does yeah. yeah another form of vampire if you want to look at it that way um this week we are talking about alien yeah, which is a, a a complete classic, and it was um written by Dan O'Bannon, and it was directed by Ridley Scott, and it is starring Sigourney Weaver, uh, Tom Skerritt, uh, Veronica Cartwright, Harry Dean Stanton, John Hurt, and Ian Holm. Indeed, it was. Yeah. Do you have an opening statement? Um, I do. Let me bear bear with me. Uh, yes, I do. Uh, one of the spookiest, most suspenseful films of all time. Damn good. Um, I like horror movies. This is this is no great secret. And I like aliens too. So can you imagine my delight when <laughs> when I happened upon this film and I thought, ah, it's one of the greatest horror movies of all time, <laughs> and one of the greatest science fiction movies of all time. Yeah. Bloody hell! Imagine that. The horror movie Alien. There's a horror movie called Alien. That's really offensive. No wonder everyone keeps invading you. <laughs> I love Peter Capaldi. He's got yeah. such a brilliant voice. I'm, gl- I'm glad um... you know who I was doing there. I was worried. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, yeah. It it was a bit. It was a bit uh, Louis Louis Walsh for a, for a brief moment. Oh fuck! But, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought it back round to Peter Capaldi. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> an absolute uh, masterclass in cosmic horror. It's refreshing to see a horror film treated with such dignity. It's a genre that is often pegged as cheap or unrealistic, but this film proves that wrong entirely. Mm. Yep, you're completely right. It's um, The thing that I think makes this film great is that it's about what you don't see as well as what it is about what you do see. Yeah. And I'm aware that makes me some kind of pretentious twat, but <laughs> stick with me because I'm right. Um, it... Um, I think it it is about it's what's the word I'm looking for now? Yeah, that's what it is. Has uh, H Bomber guy, a guy that we have talked about a lot on the show. He did a brief video where he talked about um, how much he loves VHS as a concept. Yeah, um, and you know he makes a lot of points that are. Well, I mean, you can agree with him or disagree with him, but it's up to you. But the point I'm trying to make is. Um, he sort of made a point about how horror films are better on VHS because the picture quality is inherently worse. Uh-huh. And that means that you just don't really ever know what you're looking at. 
And while an argument could definitely be made that perhaps looking at something that's ambiguously black is the same whether the black is grainy or whether the black is is 4k uhd or whatever i think it's an interesting to look back at alien which is is it's the footage is not pretty it it, it does not look good do you know what i mean yeah like but it, i think that makes it all the more scary in a funny way yeah i understand what he's saying but like just scaring someone isn't enough for it to be a horror film like yeah you have to give periods of like respite and like sort of you know um you can't keep the the audience scared the entire time otherwise they just won't watch it you know yeah so you're that, right some people will i'm not saying that no one will but like there has to be yeah. a, a bit more than just alien huh or you know um <laughs> it's because this film is like from the get-go it's already like introducing these really relatable and realistic characters you know they're on a job they complain about how mm. shit the food is it's just like it it's hard-working people that are just yeah, trying to get human. a job yeah. done you know it's like really it's it, exactly they're very human mm-hmm. um, i think it, that's i think that's um it's the one of the great unifying human experiences is going to work and saying god these cheese and pickle sandwiches are crap yeah Do you know what i mean it, it's a it's such a bizarre thing to say but it's so human definitely um i love the nostromo's design look from yeah it looks so lived in i love the the sort of uh, white sort of um I, I i i don't even know how to describe the sort of texture it's so but it's even though it looks futuristic it still looks as if it was like made by human beings if you know what i mean Mm, mm. You know, it's like I know what you mean. Yeah, it's probably like a future version of like what a a freighter would look like. If you get me, yeah. You know, well, so that's kind of. I mean, kind of what a freight, what it is, isn't it? You know yeah, I mean? I mean, it sort of, sort of, it sort of keeps in in that sort of vein. Um, as like, mm. you know, it's like you know us going out to sea. It's not about like it looking good. It's like more sort of practical. And mm, mm. it's the same with the Nostromo. It's like it's just you know, a similar thing to it is um and and we we did this story a uh, a wee while ago. You know the the two part of Doctor Who, um, the Satan Pit and yeah, impossible yeah. that that as well. It's like it's not gonna be pretty when we go out yeah, to the stars. Flat pack. Yeah. yeah, it's not gonna be. We're gonna be on the bridge and it's gonna be scary. Status report. It's 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 just gonna be. People that are like, all right, okay, let's go to fucking the asteroid and mine what we can and then go home, you know? It's it's going to be a a trek. It's not going to be an Apple store. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. A Star Trek. Yeah. How would Picard deal with, like, how would any Star Trek captain deal with a xenomorph? I don't know. Um, Because Kirk would just not hesitate to smack the shit out of it. Um, yeah. Kirk would immediately shoot it. Picard would try and reason with it and get beaten. <laughs> and then, yeah. and then eventually he would set Worf on it, and then Worf would get eaten. Um, so yeah, there's that. Um, I can't remember. Janeway, Janeway would just be like, "I ain't got time for this shit." Yeah. <laughs> what's What's interesting is that I can't imagine what it would be like for them, be- mm. because the. Star Trek is really good, and I like Star Trek. It's but it's very like, theatrical, and this really is like 
just everyday human beings try to just survive against this fucking thing you know yeah it's like what are the moral questions of this it's like you know it's it's so more it's so much more primal than that if you get me you know yeah they don't do. they don't have time to but they just need to fucking get home and just survive it's just pure panic and desperation you know um but that's what makes it all the more scary because like you would behave like that in that scenario, you know? It's like, if if, mm. if if a big fucking Borg ship's coming at you, there is no way that any any human being would be like, I will reason with them. And I will... It's like, no, it's like, you're going to just... Let's get the fuck out of here. It's like, it's going to... Yeah, know, let's, let's avoid these guys. It's the f- flight or fight, you know? It's like, it's, it's, it's in all of us as one or something. Um... But yeah, so it's like it's it's hard to imagine what a a, a Starfleet captain would would do in this yeah. scenario, especially mm. when it's is it on the Enterprise? Is it like yeah? Have they gone down, beamed down to a planet where the Xenomorph is? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the life cycle of a Xenomorph is kind of weird. Yeah, I get that they're meant to be kind of insecty things, but so there's <laughs> the Xenomorph Queen lays an egg. Then the egg leaps onto a guy, and then the guy is, gets his face hugged, which lays another egg in his tummy, and then, well, in his chest, and then the chest burster comes out and becomes a xenomorph. Yeah. Yeah, that's the life cycle, which is see, strange to say the least. That's the thing about this film. I've got a really sort of misanthropic feel from this film. It's like, it's very... It, it the way it sort of treats life is very mm. sort of it's almost like a parody almost you've got like um you've got uh, Ripley who misses her daughter you know uh, you've got mother who's like the the ship's computer who's supposed to be yeah. lo- looking after them and then you know the the three forms of life in the film are you know the android Mm. and the computers and all that uh, the human beings and you know the xenomorph and at the end of the day all of them perish apart from one human and the xenomorph it's like this horrible parody of like, like what life is you know it's like it's, yeah yeah and it fits within the cosmic horror sort of theme it's like we're just so fucking insignificant to what's yeah yeah that's out there that's you know the things i've written down yeah um because it feels more than just a life cycle it feels like a violation it feels like slit like an, a deliberate sort of horrible you know joke Almost, it's yeah, like it, yeah. It's it's like a it's deliberately cruel, almost as yeah. a life cycle. It's like cruel impregnation of someone, you know. Yeah, it's if like, your life cycle relies upon cruelly, yeah, subjugating a life form, yeah, yeah. It's it's um because the the design of the xenomorph is like weirdly sexual. It's it's got a weird um. <laughs> no, but people have pointed this out. I'm not just pulling this out my arse. It's like okay. the, the the design for like um the the derelict spaceship and the xenomorph itself is weirdly sort of linked to sex in a weird way it's all it almost looks like 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 grecian cave paintings of like people you know doing it 
it's it, it's just so uncomfortable, you know. Mm, mm. Um, and again, it you know it fits with that sort of impregnation sort of thing, you know. It, yeah, yeah. It's all very sort of horrible, and and it makes you really yeah, uncomfortable. A, um, yeah, that's something I hadn't even considered. That's a really good point. How it's sort of um. Yeah, it is a. It is like a. The the fact that it's like a violation of bodily autonomy means that it makes it all the more horrific, because it that's a much more understandable fear than you're gonna get eaten. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's you're gonna get eaten. Nobody's, you know, that it's hard to understand what that means. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like, your bodily autonomy is something that's very easy to understand and very easy to know if or when it's been violated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So to just say, okay, that thing that's happened in your life turn it up to such a degree that the thing will literally kill you. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it's, it becomes horrific. Definitely. Um, and that does remind me, actually. I, I hadn't, I'd never considered this angle of looking at it before. This is, this is a, a good shout. It's um, in Prometheus, um, a xenomorph or an egg or whatever the fuck, um, it impregnates a woman, which I don't think had happened up until that point. Yeah. I, I don't want to deliberately say for sure, because it's been a long time since I saw the film. Um, but it, it it impregnates a woman, and um, it's the the woman realizes she has been xenomorphed, and she goes to this sort of medical pod and says emergency C section now sort of thing, and it's this future voice controlled Google Home medical pod or whatever, um, and that she sort of demands it as it were, um, and it's it can't it says I no I I cannot I am only I can only operate on men sort of thing. Um, I am uncalibrated to operate on women. Um, and she says, fine, we'll do an emergency amputation, um, foreign body, lower abdomen or something. Yeah. And, like it's, yeah, that's a really good point. I'd never considered it because that, that almost certainly ties into the overall, this violation of bodily autonomy sort of thing. It's like yeah. having to go through a horrific procedure for which the doctor, robot or not, is not trained. Yeah, that's a really good point. I'd literally never considered that before. <laughs> that's, that's a really good point. Um, it's it's like chi- childbirth and like birthing is like considered like sacred in a lot of parts of like the world. So to have like a film yeah. where that is like turned into a horrible, cruel sort of joke, especially for like a character like like Ripley who is a mother yeah. and like yeah. misses her child. You know, it's like to see a life cycle as horrible as that. And watch every single one of your colleagues die, and maybe, mm. maybe you'll never see your daughter again. It's like it's really, it's really hor. It's it, it's horrible. It's dreadful. It's it's cosmic horror at its at its finest. You don't need mm. to understand it. It's not you know. It's beyond you. It's it's cruel because it can be, and the universe is so apathetic, and it just you mm. know it's just cycles of repeat themselves in, in whatever horrible way they, they needed to in order to, you know, uh, you know, sur- dominate the environment that they were in, you know? Mm, mm, mm. But, um... Oof. Yeah. No, you're right. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that one sort of took a bit of a turn, yeah. Um, I think another thing that makes the, um, the cosmic horror aspect of it so very, very good is that the alien is just some guy, and so are the crew. They're all just some guy. Yeah. Like, um, it's not... None of them are special in any way. It's it, If anything, it's through chance that Ripley finally manages to plunge the alien into space. Yeah. It's... it's They're all just 
it's random chance that threw the crew together. It's random chance that threw the alien into the mix. Well, it's bizarre. Well, as we know, it isn't random chance. It was the here we go capitalism time. It was the fucking corporation that oh, was God, yeah, that was so greedy that it wanted a weapon to to bring back to Earth. Um, see, see, when I rewatched this film, it's it's really amazing knowing that Ian Holm, uh, Ian Holm's character, Ash, is like trying to figure out a way to get this thing back to Earth. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at his like, facial expressions in some points, you can tell that he's like calculating how to like, sort of, you know, steer the crew in the direction of like not killing it or not like, sort of... Like, um, mm, mm. For example, when like, John Hart has the chestburster scene, it's like he's smiling and then his eyes go dead and he's like looking at John Hart because he knows what's gonna what's gonna happen. It's really quite you know, it's really quite good to it's, watch it from yeah, that way. Yeah. Um mm. no it's um and of course, um famously, um the the fact that the thing about the chest burster scene is that nobody actually knew that something was gonna come out of John Hurt's chest. Yeah. Um they sort of said, John Hurt will have chest pain and collapse on the table and then the scene will end. Yeah. Um and then John Hurt's chest just fucking exploded. Yeah. And um which I've always thought is a terrible way to direct because <laughs> if I was if that actually happened in a scene that I was acting in in real life as Lewis Brinley the actor, I would immediately break character and be like, "Oh my fucking god." And I would look over at the director and be like, "Steve, get the fuck over here. What's going?" <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I would not be calmly acting in that situation. Yeah. I mean I'd be, I, if anything I would get my phone out of my pocket and call a fucking ambulance because like all of a sudden he's bleeding yeah that's not in the script oh my god there's something in his chest do you know what i mean yeah maybe it was worth it to like just see if they could get a re- a genuine reaction you know yeah like, maybe if someone maybe. called dynamic it's like no, no no it's fine it's part of this i just wanted to see what you would do which is a bit fucking manipulative but yeah it really is it fits with the cosmic horror sort of stuff doesn't it it's like mm-hmm. but you know Doing that's that. true it's it's yeah it's um doing that right, well. <laughs> doing that at the expense of your crew's mental health is no <laughs> that's let's not do that yeah um, no you're right it's um yeah i there's those stories about how on on the set of the shining uh stanley kubrick was deliberately cruel to um shelly duvall yeah um just because she would be living in a horrific situation the, the character would so he was like well so should the actor um, and it's like, yeah. okay, I see your logic, but it doesn't make sense. Um, if if you don't consider their ability as an actor to be to be skilled enough to actually act that that they are in a horrific situation, yeah. Then why did you hire them? Yeah, exactly. Do you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I, I see what you're saying, but what about human beings? Um, yes. <laughs> what about their actual right to a safe and happy working environment? Yeah, exactly. Um, uh. Uh, see, the more that I think about it, the more I'm sort of going on this idea of like a, the parody of life. Like even at the beginning, the birthing pods almost. It's mm. like mm. these uh, semi-naked children sort of awake from... Their, it's so... It's very weird, you know, and it mm. does seem to be linking to like, the start of life and and like, maybe even like, motherhood, you know? it's It's very, very strange. How, mm, how mm. it's actually quite it's making me quite unsettled thinking about it, you know. Um. But uh, 
it's, I said this at the beginning, it's amazing how little we see of the Xenomorph. Um, yeah, you're right. Like, we barely see it. It's, it, it, well, obviously, you see the baby version, and it sort of goes, and then fucks off. Um, you see it, uh, for... That well-known line, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> baby Yoda. Um, <laughs> you see it, uh, as it, as it kills the guy and the cat's looking at it, you know, you see it's, it's head, but you don't actually see the full thing. Um, mm. and obviously when, when, uh, oh, what's his name? I can't remember. The guy who you think is going to be the protagonist and then, uh, you know, Ripley has to step up. Like, I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, Dallas? Dallas, that's it. Yeah. I watched the director's cut of, of okay. Alien and there is a scene in it where the alien first like, shows itself. And it's like, you know, this huge big played thing. It's like, it's horrible. And um, in the director's cut, when when uh, the guy who's looking for the cat is like looking up and like, there's like chains and all that and it's wet, yeah. it cuts to the chains for like three seconds. And I'm like, right, okay, why am I looking at this? And then I'm like, wait, what's that? And then I rewind mm. it and the full fucking thing is there. Like, for three seconds on screen, it's hanging there. Mm. It's like hanging in the chains. And you can, and you pause it, and you can see the full thing. And it fucking scared the shit out of me. I was like, oh my god, that's it? That's the full... It's not just a glimpse of it, it's the actual full thing, just hanging like a bat, or something like that, Mm. which goes back to the vampire sort of thing. It was so scary. And there's no music or anything. You just see it hanging. It's like, oh my god, that is fucking brilliant. Why didn't they keep that mm, mm. in the original? Um, because it's like no, you're right. It's yeah. It, it, you expect it to be scary. You expect it to be sort of played up and horrifying, but the fact that you double take, and it it's in the corner of your eye, and you see this big fucking thing. It's horrible. It's so horrible. Yeah, you're right. It's yeah, <laughs> it's. That there's something horrific about knowing that you could have seen it, but you just didn't. Yeah. Does that make sense? It's there's something very horrific about that inherently. Definitely. Um. Um. I like that the moral of this film is: do not touch a spooky egg. If you happen across a spooky egg in a cave or something, don't touch that egg. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a good good moral. Good good <laughs> life lesson to take from this film: don't touch a spooky egg. Yeah. If you see an egg that's spooky steer well clear <laughs> that's my advice to you you can, that, you can have that for free oh, well that's that's uh, I'm, I'm so glad <laughs> <laughs> um what uh what else have you get uh, it's always the way with with sort of good films is that we we start to struggle to find things to talk about after a while which is bizarre yeah. um i am glad the cat survives yeah um i think the cat survives <laughs> Yeah, the cat does. Um, yeah, because it goes into the, the sleep pod at the end, yeah. Are you ready for a... Uh, by the way, another thing. Um, Ripley looks almost as if like, she's given birth at the end of the film. Like, the way like, a mother would like, when she's like, given birth to like, a child, if you know what I mean. Like, she's, um, she just like, is so tired and like, 
oh, just right, has okay, yeah. to go to sleep, you know, because of like maybe mm. it's been a traumatic sort of... The physical exertion and uh, yeah. I suppose it makes sense in the narrative because you're sort of... you're you've been running from a big alien for like three days you're you're running on fumes at that point do you know yeah. what i mean oh it's horrible um <laughs> yeah it is i i this is a hot take but um oh cats and xenomorphs are basically the same um monica has never tried to eat my face um not yet no that's very true yeah she actually i the other day i did have to flea and worm her is like a oh, it's pretty chilled out dear. it's um you have like the little no just because it's like something you have to do once a month um it's just like a little squeezy thing and you squeeze it on the back of their neck and she doesn't like it because you're there so you sort of lull her into a false sense of security and you squeeze a little bit of this sort of liquid on the back of her neck and she goes oh fuck what was that yeah um so she could have looked at me furiously for a bit um and then i gave her some some this chicken paste stuff that she likes yeah um she hasn't tried to eat my face. I'll let you know if she does. Um, I'll also let you know if she brings me a spooky egg that she's found. Um, if, and if she does, what do we do, Danny? If we see a spooky egg? We um, touch it and rub it, no, rub it on our face. And I look. gave you that piece of knowledge for free, <laughs> and you just threw it back in my face. Um, I just I just saw that the way Jonesy was looking at the, the xenomorph carry that guy up, and, and it almost just looked as if... Yeah, nice. I wish I could do that. You know, <laughs> mm, mm. if cats it's, were the um, size of xenomorphs, I really, I have a hard time believing that they would just be pretty chilled out and all that. You know. Well, there's a reason that the cats we have in our houses are not lions. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> is that if if push came to shove, I could probably throw a blanket over Monica and sort of scoop her up, and do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's. it's I feel like I could outsmart Monica if I really had to. Yeah. Well. Don't rule it out. Uh. No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, you're right. Um, yeah, this is an incredibly good film. It, um, it uses suspense very well, which is, I mean, everybody's made this observation since the dawn of time, is that Alien is a very suspenseful film. Yeah. Um, but I do admire that using suspense in such a skilled way is like a, it's a weirdly tricky thing to do. Uh-huh. Um, to sort of, use suspense and use it well and use it consistently well because if you're just constantly scaring the shit out of someone for an hour and a half two hours it loses its its sort of its strength after a while yeah you're like yeah it yeah jump scare what else is new it, it you sort of become less scared by by the actual scares exactly but it's the fact that you never quite know where the alien is even when it's on screen you're like is that actually the alien is it pulling a trick on me yeah it has this this strange intelligence to it and this i don't know like, almost a vanity it's really good yeah like the way ash describes it like um unclouded by conscience remorse or delusions of morality like it's like the the company that made that android admires that like, mm, it's not mm. just the android that admires that that's what's so horrifying like yeah that's and it, it tells you everything that that you need to know about why this company wants this thing because it is just it's the spatial equivalent of a a crocodile you know just an unfeeling killing mm, machine mm. that will just eat and reproduce and eat and reproduce it's 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 
it, yeah, it's more like a machine than a than a than a guy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like um, and that's what's so you, horrible because it's life. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, it's this parody of life. It's like that. That's not what life is to most people. It's not just eating mm. and reproducing. It's it's laughing, sharing joy. You know, uh, uh, enjoying yourself. But this thing just it will survive yeah. for as long as it can and kill as many yeah. people as it can. It's horrible. I think that's, yeah, that's another of the horrific things about it is that it takes its intelligence and I think it's like an inherently human thing to make art in some way. Like, I think you you can't not sing. You can't not dance. You can't not make music. You can't not, I don't know, when you're cooking something, it's impossible not to say, oh, what would it be like if I put some nutmeg in it or whatever it might be? Yeah. It's impossible to, to not do these creative things because that's just what is, what being human is. And it's terrifying to see something that's as intelligent as a human, if not more intelligent in the, in, in, in the xenomorph, that it doesn't use its intelligence for any of those human activities. Yeah. It uses its intelligence purely for survival. It has no stake in doing anything else. Yep. Absolutely. It's horrible. Mm. Um, um, I think I'm running out of notes. I think I am also running out of notes. You're right. Um, um but, I mean, we always get this. It's a good film. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to talk at great length about good films. Oh, I really like I really like the design of the of the android Ash. You know, it's not your typical sort of way of displaying a robot. You know, the the, the fucking milk spraying everywhere and like you know, it's horrible. <laughs> yeah. It's like what the fuck? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's re- it's really strange the mm. way the way they present things in this film. You know, it's you would expect to see like you know um, bits of. Uh, Bits of circuitry yeah, and, just, and oil and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. machinery, but instead you get sort mm. of like, like, uh, this white fluid and like, and just like, sort of almost... Pipes like, and... Yeah, yeah, glass pipes and stuff inside. It's really strange. I suppose that, um, I suppose that an, adds another level to the sort of um, the cosmic horror of it in the sense that even something you think you know in fiction, yeah. which is an android, it that is... yeah. Corrupted and changed. It's like there's episodes of Star Trek where Data's got a bit of his head missing, and you're like, "Oh yeah, it's circuits." Okay, but then you 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 watch something like this, and you go, "Oh yeah, it's going to be circuit." Oh my god, what the hell? <laughs> it's it's just so alien to what you're expecting. Yeah. Oy, hey. That was a good one. Roll credit. God, if I was cleverer, I would have done that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I just think that everything in this film is designed to um. Uh, be unsettling and make you yeah, you're feel right. uncomfortable. Um, and that's that seems like a very obvious thing to say, but like, I mean, like primarily with like mm. the way we view life, the way we view uh, birth, and like you know, uh, being born. You know, it's it's very, it's very strange. Um, I almost forgot actually. What we could do is we could we're going to read out some of our patrons' opinions that have. Oh God, Jack! Yeah. Oh, thank goodness. Have a fucking terrible podcast. (laughs) Um. Okay. So, one of our patrons, uh, Doogie, says it's a smart dark film that is unintentionally a period piece with its seventies, early eighties aesthetic. Nice. Um, Sir Ian Holm gives a chillingly clever performance as the science officer revealed to be an android there to keep tabs on the crew. 
Sigourney Weaver gives a believable uh, performance as a merchant spacer doing her job, even as the mission falls apart. I like the touch of making sure she's shaved, uh, shaved, saved the ship's shaved cat. The ship's cat. Yeah. I cannot imagine even trying to shave a cat. I can. There are times when Monica doesn't even let me like stroke her or give her a treat. Like, can you imagine trying to shave a cat? No. That would. I think I might die. The cat might overpower me. Yep. Um. This is interesting. The classism between the commissioned crew and the enlisted crewmen was an obvious influence. On Red Dwarf's early episodes, especially mm. Rimmer, trying and repeatedly failing to jump from a working class crewman to a middle class officer. Yeah, there's like a pay sort of uh, thing. Yeah, a pay difference. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is something you see a lot more in, um, weirdly, the only other place it comes to mind is like Vietnam movies. There's yeah. a lot of movies set in sort of the Vietnam War where it's like, um, oh, there's these reporters that are paid incredibly well to be. Uh, here reporting on the the soldiers and stuff mm-hmm. and the soldiers are just like yeah i get paid nothing to stand in this ditch until i die yeah um it's yeah that's a really good point dougie uh it is uh darius says that they copied um a doctor who story called the ark in space interesting um and also that ridley scott comes from his hometown oh lovely yeah so there you go thank you darius is ridley scott british yeah no idea. Yeah, he's, he's English. Cool, cool. Yeah, there you go. Um, Dougie also shared a meme, which is hard to hard to share on an audio format. How do xenomorphs <laughs> wear hats? Assorted different ways a xenomorph could possibly wear a hat. Um, I imagine a xenomorph would... I was looking at this picture of a xenomorph. Um, what do you wear a hat for in real life? To keep the sun off your eyes. Yeah. Really. So I guess it would be... Because there's the ridges on the top of the head, and then there's kind of a smooth bit, which is where eyes would be. So I imagine the hat would be essentially just a pokey out bit from the last ridge yeah. to, to shade the eye bit. That's how I imagine. I know that wasn't a serious question, Dougie, but now you've got a serious answer, <laughs> so you better ha- you better be happy with that. I, th- I think that they would bypass the hat completely and use an umbrella. Um, Maybe. Yeah. A parasol. Use its tail and let sprout an umbrella. Uh, mm-hmm. So there you go. Always, always an option. Sprouting an umbrella at your ass. Yep. Just so take note, any xenomorphs out there <laughs> that are listening. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think I'm, I'm. I think everyone's out of notes now. Um, yes, most certainly. I was talking about growing an umbrella out of your ass. I'm definitely <laughs> out of notes. Um, thank um, you very much for listening to our podcast about this. Have you got a, a closing statement, Chuck? Yes. Um, one creature you hardly see, despite a great amount of money being spent on it is all it takes to spark a really good sequel in the other shit ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do they are sort of they're just supposed to get sort of sequentially worse, aren't they? I have seen the first 3, I haven't seen the last one. Yeah. Um the third one is mm-hmm, it's all right. It's um, the second one's good obviously. Um but anyway, yeah. Um a inherently incredibly suspenseful petrifying film. Um this is a dead good film. Um it's it somehow both rations out suspense and makes me constantly terrified, which is just an impressive trick, if I'm being completely honest with you. Yeah. No, definitely. Yes, uh, I think that's all we've got time for. So have we got some, some shilling to do? Yes, we do indeed. Um, okay, uh, we all have link trees 
well, I say we all, Lewis and I, uh, and the podcast. Uh, Lewis is, is linktr.ee slash Lewis. Every person on the planet has a link tree, and I will read them all aloud now. Lewis, uh, Lewis is, is linktr.ee slash Lewis underscore Brindley. Mine is slash O'Hiram, and the podcasts is slash Shouting Into The Void. There you will find our socials, our YouTube, our Instagram, our Facebook. Go have a look. Um... We have a PayPal donate button. Anything you can spare, anything at all, would be greatly appreciated. Uh, we also have Patreon, and we want to take the opportunity, as we do every week, to thank our wonderful, wonderful patrons. Um, Chloe. Thank you. Darius. Thank you. Sophie. Thank you. Peter. Thank you. Aditya. Thank you. Richard. Thank you. Natalie. Thank you. And Doogie. Thank you. There we go. God, we're getting good at that, aren't we? Oh, yeah. Uh, yes, thank you very much, one and all. You keep the lights on at Void Towers and you allow us to do what we're doing. Uh, just literally, at the moment, we're coming up to um, having to renew the podcast because um, we like pay for the hosting and stuff. Um, so literally, at the moment, you are literally uh, providing us with the means to keep the podcast going. So thank you very, very much for that. It really does mean the world that you are helping us to do this thing that we really enjoy doing. So thank you. Yes. And if you would like to join their esteemed ranks, you can click the link in our bio, go onto our Patreon and see some of the amazing, well, I say amazing, some of the perks <laughs> that we have for being a patron, one of which is uh, get your opinion read out and talked about on the mm. on the podcast mm. as, as we've just um, done. So go have a look, see what, see what you fancy. And uh, thank you to our patrons. Um, yeah. We also have merch on Teespring and Redbubble, so if you go have a look, um, Shouting Into The Void, we sell tote bags, jumpers, t-shirts, mugs, all sorts of stuff. Go have a look, see what you fancy, treat yourself, treat yourself. Um, and last but not least, we are partnered with an amazing company called Number 12 Crochet Avenue, and Lewis is going to say some wonderful things about them, all of which are true. Indeed I am. Number 12 Crochet Avenue is a wonderful company run by my wonderful wife in which she wonderfully crochets and she's wonderfully good at it. Um, yes, she crochets and she's very, very good at it. Uh, it is a beautiful Instagram feed edition, which I cannot recommend enough. Um, so make sure you do go and check it out. That's at number 12 Crochet Avenue on Instagram. Um, definitely worth looking at. Definitely worth giving her a cheeky follow. Uh, go and take a look. It means the world. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well... Uh, that was Alien. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. It was. And what we're doing next week, Dan? Well, let me spin the the, the travel wheel. Um, it's a helicopter. Uh, we are doing aliens. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. You know, we thought there are only really two good films in this entire franchise. <laughs> So let's just do them, and we'll leave the other ones Prometheus to... has its moments. Yeah, true. Alien, mm. Alien Covenant. Michael Fassbender's good. Yeah, Alien Covenant's... <laughs> I never actually saw that. I meant to, but I didn't get around to it. Yeah. Don't, Is it crap? Don't bother. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> it's all right. There are some interesting things from it, but it's it's none, and I mean none, have captured the original. That this film mm, mm. has has not yet been surpassed. In terms of like just unsettle, un- unsettleness is that a word? No, it isn't. Uh, unsettlingness. Unsettlingness. Yes, there you go. Um, um, that works all right. I suppose there's got to be a better word than that that I can't think of right now. Yeah, you know that's that's why that's why you know James Cameron 
who wrote and directed Aliens doesn't even try to try and copy yeah, the yeah. same style, you know? Um, But I don't want to... Because we'll run out of notes for that and it'll be like fucking 30 minutes long, that episode, if we talk about it. No. So, <laughs> um, yeah, but uh, thanks so much uh, for listening and we will see you, hear you, smell you, um, you know, chew your face off next With week. With our tiny extra mouth. Yes. Yeah, uh, next week. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Um, all right. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye.